Good evening. Uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to James chapter 4. That's where we're going to be tonight. I'm going to read verses 4 through 8 before we pray. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we are grateful to you tonight that we get to sing your praises. And as uh, we just prayed a moment ago, we ask that these would not just be words that we sing and forget about, but instead they would penetrate to our hearts and our minds and transform us to make us like you. Uh, We praise you that in Jesus Christ, our sin has been nailed to the cross. We don't bear it anymore. And we can have confidence in the fact that your promises will come true. You have promised us eternal life through Jesus Christ. Father, as we study your word tonight, we ask that you would give us uh, wisdom and understanding so we might know what your word has to say. Uh, Give our minds alertness and energy. We pray, Father, work in our hearts that you would remove those barriers of doubt and fear and distraction that keep us from knowing what your word has to say. And I pray, move in our hands and feet to obey. Father, I pray that you really would transform us through your word, that it wouldn't just be another sermon, another Sunday, but that it would be an opportunity for us to grow closer to you and to your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. But if you ever read comic books or you watch movies based on comic books, you know that every hero has to have a corresponding villain, at least one corresponding villain. Some heroes, Batman, for example, have many corresponding villains. Um, I don't know if anybody in here is like a comic book fan, Marvel, DC. I'm not a huge comic book fan, but I have read a few. And and if you've read them, you notice that that really is one of the key themes is how is this hero going to overcome this villain? And that creates the uh, conflict and the tension and the plot that makes you want to read. Every great protagonist has to have an antagonist. Well, this past week, I ran across a list of some of the strangest and uh, most ill-conceived anti-heroes, villains, that uh, Marvel Comics have ever come up with. And so I was going to share just a few of those with you this evening before we start. This guy here, his name is Swarm, and uh, he was a villain, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, You may not be able to see him too well from back there, but he is a swarm of bees. That's what he is. He apparently was killed by killer bees, and then his consciousness came back to life, and his big superpower is he can manipulate bees with his mind. Now, uh, apparently, he never did anything real, like, cool, like attack anybody with the bees. He could just kind of move around and be menacing. Uh, And I don't know how long he lasted, but uh, he was not one of their best villains. Uh, The next one, uh, this is Asbestos Lady. And uh, this is really for real. I'm not making this up. Uh, Asbestos Lady was a a villain back in the 1940s. And uh, she would uh, 
create fireproof costumes so that she could uh, rob banks and not be caught by one of their heroes, the Human Torch. And uh, asbestos is fireproof, so she would wear this. Now, back in the 1940s, they didn't really know that uh, wearing asbestos would give you cancer, right? And so... uh, What happened, actually, as they began to get that knowledge was uh, Asbestos Lady, later in the series, actually did uh, die of cancer because of wearing asbestos all the time. Another one, Hell Cow. Now, uh, this is, again, this is for real. I'm not making him up. Uh, The guy behind him, I think, is supposed to be Dracula. And the storyline is that Dracula killed a cow, uh, right? And uh, the cow later came back to life as a vampire cow. And uh, was angry and decided to search for Dracula and take revenge and kill him. Uh, And he was actually, in the end, killed by another strange hero, Howard the Duck, uh, later on in the series. So uh, not the best conceived villain in the history of Marvel Comics. Now, I share those with you guys, again, just to illustrate the idea that every hero needs a villain. And and often uh, story writers, they're desperate to come up with a good villain uh, because that makes the plot interesting. Every hero has a villain. Uh, God has enemies as well. God has villains as well. People or forces who are determined to destroy his plans for the earth. And as we've been talking about the subject of heaven and hell for the last several weeks, remember we've talked about uh, how God has a plan for the world and God's plan ultimately is to restore it to what it was meant to be. And to uh, glorify himself, to make his name known and great by doing that. So when we get to the end of the book of Revelation, what we see is a perfect, renewed earth with no sin, no death, no suffering, no sickness. And what God desires to do is bring men and women from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation into that restored earth so they can worship him. But as you look at the scripture, from the very beginning of the world, God has enemies to his plan. From Genesis to Revelation, they work their way all the way through the Bible. And as we talk about heaven and hell, the reason that this uh, topic relates to that is because right now, here on the earth, we are in kind of an in-between place. We are in between heaven, God's ultimate purpose where heaven comes down to earth, and hell, which is a place of destruction for God's enemies. Hell is a place where ultimately God's enemies will reap the consequences of their rebellion against God. And if you were here last week, we talked about that uh, in more detail. We talked about hell. But right now we're in between. We're in neither place. And God's enemies have not been judged and they are still active on the earth. A few months ago, I was in Austin and I walked into a like kind of a breakfasty type place. And uh, the girl who was serving the food had a tattoo all the way uh, across her forearm. And it said, hell is empty. All the devils live here. And uh, I had a, started a conversation with her and just kind of asked her, you know, what does that mean? And it turns out it's a quote from a Shakespeare play, from The Tempest. And the idea is that uh, he's saying he doesn't believe that really there's a need for a hell because uh, there's enough pain and torture down here. And now where I would disagree is that I believe biblically hell is a real place. It really exists. And those who rebel against God will go there. But he has a point, right? Right now, sometimes the world seems pretty hellish doesn't take much observation to walk around and, and to see uh, disaster and tragedy. You see earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes, uh, natural disasters. You also see disasters and tragedy that, that are the result of human sin and conflict. So we have wars, we have widespread hunger and famine, we have a culture saturated with sexual immorality. And so we look around and it's easy to go, what in the world is going on? 
How could God's world that he made be so corrupt? How is it that God made a world that seems like it's on a course been for destruction? And as you look at the Bible, what you see is the reason that the world looks hellish often right now is because of these enemies of God. So how does that relate to us sitting in this room? Well, it relates to us because as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have an opportunity each day, each moment to align yourself either with God and his values and his kingdom, right? The plan that God has to restore the earth. You have an opportunity to align yourself with that or you have an opportunity to align yourself with God's enemies and to do things and think things and look at things and say things that are destructive to God's purposes. The things that you and I say and do and believe and think are not neutral because you and I are eternal beings made in the image of God. And God has given us a degree of power and a degree of responsibility. And we have an opportunity each moment to use that in his service or in the service of God's enemies. So what we're going to look at this evening for a few minutes is who are God's enemies? How are they active in the world? Why does the world look the way it does right now? It has elements of the goodness of God's creation. It also has elements of destruction and death and devastation. And why is that? And how do we respond as Christians? All right, so why does the earth seem hellish? All right, right now the earth seems hellish, first of all, because the devil is active in the world. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And Peter goes on to say, you resist him though, firm in your faith. The devil is a real enemy who is at odds with God, who wants to destroy you and me, wants to destroy God's purposes for the earth. Several years ago, when my oldest daughter was probably about three years old, we took her to a zoo And uh, when we got into the zoo, they had a white tiger, a couple of white tigers actually, that were in kind of a glass enclosure. And uh, these things are huge. Like if you've got a cat, like picture this cat multiplied by like 300. And that's this tiger, right? Just enormous. And they were, you know, pacing back and forth in their cage. they, They saw us walk up. And as they saw us walk up, one of them came over near the glass and began to walk back and forth. And uh, it fixed its eye upon my daughter and began to look at her. And and, uh, you could see the look in its eye of, this is just the size of a snack, right? And uh, turned and it actually began to bat its paws up against that glass, right? To slam up against that glass right where my daughter was standing. My wife standing behind me was on the verge of tears. And I reminded her, I said, you know, that tiger can't get to us through the glass. I don't think at least the glass uh, seems like it's thick enough, uh, but it still startled her. So we moved along from that tiger, went to the gift shop, and we bought a little stuffed tiger, right? And we brought it home and we put it in her room and she can sleep with it at night. And so because we were afraid of the big tiger, we kind of domesticated it, turned into something she can play with. And as I thought about that, I thought that is really what our culture has done with the devil, We see a passage like this that's biblical. The devil is a real enemy of God and he wants to destroy us. And yet what we've done is we've turned him into a joke, really, in our culture, right? He's a guy that wears red tights and a funny cape and he's got little horns and a pitchfork and a long tail, right? He tries to get you to eat too many cookies or something like that, right? He's kind of innocuous or silly, 
All right, biblically, that's not who he is. Biblically, he is bent on our destruction because he hates God. And he has followers among the fallen angels. That's what the demons are biblically. Those who seek to do his will. And as you look throughout the life of Jesus, one of the things you see Jesus doing is he engages with these forces of darkness, these demons, and he casts them out of men and women who have been affected by them, who are being influenced or controlled. Jesus is at war with the forces of darkness. Now, again, we, as we talk about God's plan, what we see from the scripture is we know God is going to win. We know God is going to win, but there still is an enemy at war with God and at war with you and me. And that's why Ephesians 6 talks about this struggle, not against flesh and blood, but against evil spiritual forces. They are real. And one of the devil's main purposes in your life and my life is to tell us lies. That's who he was from the very beginning. That's who he is right now, is he is a liar. John eight forty four. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now that may not sound real menacing to you because we don't tend to think of lying as being uh, like the worst thing you could do. All right. If we have a catalog of sins, it might start with like murder at the top, stealing somewhere here like eating your roommate's salsa somewhere here, right? And then lying kind of right down on the bottom, right? Uh, We tend to think of lying as kind of not that big a deal, right? But biblically, the truth is that what you and I do and say is dramatically affected by what we believe and think. So if our beliefs are wrong, then what we do is wrong. And that's one of the points that Jesus makes is that sin comes out of the heart. So my beliefs affect what I do. So if the devil can convince you and me of things that are not true about God. He can bring us to a place where we're ineffective in his service. If you look back in the Garden of Eden, what's the first thing that the serpent does to Adam and Eve? He begins to tell them lies. Yeah, God told you if you eat this, you'll die. That's not really gonna happen. What's really gonna happen is you're gonna gonna get really awesome, right? You're gonna be able to understand things. Uh, You're gonna know things God doesn't want you to know. You should eat it, it's good. And they ate of it, and what happened? Well, they were separated from God spiritually, and they died. But he is a liar by his very nature. Many of you will remember back in April of this year, a man named Harold Camping came out, and he predicted the end of the world, right? That uh, on, it was like April 21st or something, the world was going to end, and the rapture was going to happen. Uh, and uh, he's back again, actually, and his new prediction is that it will be this Friday, Uh, You may not have known that, and that's actually true. He's saying that again uh, because he was wrong the first time. Now, what's interesting about this is people believed that, and so they acted accordingly. So some people sold their homes. uh, They quit their jobs. They went to live on a street corner, and they waited, and nothing happened. And the lies that they believe devastated people's lives. And that's what the enemy does. So if he could convince you that true satisfaction, real satisfaction is found in sexual immorality and lust or pornography, he will do it because it will drag you away from focusing on the values of God's kingdom. If he can convince you that you have no value because of the way you look or the way you think or because everybody has always told you that, if he can convince you that God doesn't love you or have a plan for you, then he can neutralize your effectiveness. And so he lies. 
And that's been his primary strategy. Also, as you look throughout the scripture, he does other things. He creates sickness. As you look throughout Mark and Luke, he creates epilepsy at times and muteness. He can create sickness. He makes people, uh, even from time to time, insane. Because his goal is to destroy what God is building. And so one of the reasons the world seems hellish is because the devil is active. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He calls the devil the God of this world because at this particular time in a sin-filled world, the devil has authority over the world's systems and the world's structures. And so he influences the world in which we live. It's still God's world. God still owns it. God will still redeem it. But he's allowed the enemy at this time and place, while he waits for men and women to trust in Jesus, he's allowed him to have some influence. And so he blinds people's minds and he lies. And so you walk out in the world, you go, why is it the way it is? Partly because of the devil, God's enemy. And yet God has defeated him ultimately, Hebrews 2. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. When Jesus died and rose again, he destroyed the biggest tool that Satan has in his toolbox, and that is death. When he lied to Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve sinned, that led to their death, and his goal ever since has been to lie to you and me and lead to our death. And yet Jesus overcame death and he rose again. So if you trust in him, you have life. If you follow him, you pursue the way of life. If you do not, you pursue the way of death. So God's enemy is the devil. And second reason that the world seems hellish is because uh, people are sinful. People are sinful. In other words, uh, our hearts are corrupted. And because our hearts are corrupted, we act in ways that are contrary to God's plans. And to a certain extent, we create the world that we live in. So I walk outside and I say, why are people selfish and prideful and lustful and angry all the time? Uh, To a certain extent, I have to look back at me. I am partly responsible for creating the environment in which I live. It's not just those people out there. It's me and these people in here and this person. And because we are corrupt, we see the effects of that worldwide. You get a bunch of sinful people together and they create a sinful group or a sinful nation or a sinful world. Years ago, I lived in a house one summer when I was in college uh, with four other guys. And uh, to be real honest, it was the worst place I had ever lived in my life. Uh, And it wasn't because the guys were bad. They were all nice enough guys and we got along okay. But the problem was that nobody cleaned up after themselves in the entire place. And so by about two or three weeks into the summer, it just was disgusting. Like there was a guy that would, he would make like a big crock pot of baked beans and just kind of leave it on the counter for days on end, occasionally come like get himself a bowl of it, you know, and just kind of eat it and it would begin to smell. And then nobody would do the dishes and people would just drop trash on the floor. And a few weeks, well, really actually it was like a week into the summer, uh, mice began to move in like in mass, you know, and they got... uh, more bold where they would actually come out even during the day sometimes because it was just such a feast in this place for them. And like, I I hate mice. I'm terrified of them. And so I was afraid to go to sleep at night because I envisioned waking up and they'd be like, you know, chewing on my head or something like that. And I was worried with so much to eat, they were just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, and I'd come in and there'd be one like 
getting something out of the fridge or something like that. You know, like I was, I hated this place. Like I was terrified of living there. Uh, and yet I look back and I'm like, I partly was responsible for that. At any time I could have gone and uh, bought a mop, right? Or some cleaning supplies and cleaned it up. I could have even chosen to clean up after my roommates. If I wasn't actively responsible, I was at least passively responsible for the environment. It's no different in the world which we live. We are at least passively and usually actively responsible for the sin in the world. Because we are also sinful people. And so we look around and we go, why is the world that way? It's because I'm that way. Galatians chapter 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus talks in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, right? All of these things stem from our hearts. So I look around and I say, why is it that I have to live in a culture that is steeped in sexual immorality and pornography? And yet then we engage in those things, don't we? We watch them on television. We watch movies that are filled with those things. Or we look at pornography, uh, which triggers the industry to say, people are watching this, let's make more. Say, why do we live in an angry, violent world? And yet the way that I reacted to my roommate or my classmates yesterday fueled that cycle of anger. And so we have to shine the light back onto ourselves and say all of these things come from our hearts. And on a massive scale, when we look at wars, all that is is big groups of people all being selfish together. We look at massive worldwide hunger. Often it's not because there's not enough food. It's because some people hoard food at the expense of others because they're selfish. And so the world is the way that it is because we're sinful. And yet biblically there is a solution. And that is for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity each day, each moment to listen to the spirit who lives inside us rather than to listen to the voice of the world not to contribute in this moment, in this day, to the sinful, hellish world in which we often live. Further down in Galatians chapter 5, the famous fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So each morning I have the opportunity to participate in these types of things. And to reflect the love and the character of Jesus Christ. So that the world will see the character of Jesus Christ and be drawn to what is heavenly in this world. Rather than to see what is hellish. Or I can pursue the deeds of the flesh. And even as a Christian, I I have to make that choice. To listen to the spirit or to obey the flesh. And I can either contribute to the problems in the world in which I live. The rebellion against God or I can lead people out of it into life by the way that I speak, the things that I say, and the things that I do. So the world seems the way it is. The world seems hellish because people are sinful. And then thirdly, the world seems hellish because the world itself is corrupted. The world itself is corrupted and broken. 
As a result of Adam and Eve's sin, God cursed the man, he cursed the woman, he cursed the serpent, and he also cursed the ground. And so the whole world reaps the effects. It's as if you had a sickness, right? Uh, Sickness has been going around. Several of our staff were actually sick with some sort of bacterial infection type thing. And some of you perhaps came in here tonight not feeling too well. And there's these uh, little microorganisms that are living in you and they are on you, right? And they're on your hands and you're going to walk up and uh, you're going to shake people's hands. And they're going to say, how are you doing? And you're going to say, I'm great. I'm really, really sick right now, right? And they're going to do one of two things. Either they're going to go back to the bathroom right then and scrub themselves free of your sickness, or they're going to rub their eyes and get it in there. And then tomorrow they'll be sick. And how did I get sick? And what's happened? Tiny little microorganism got into your body and it infected your body. And then it got onto someone else's, infected their body, onto someone else's. And all of a sudden, one tiny little germ makes hundreds of people sick. Okay, that's a picture biblically of what sin does. Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. That one sin corrupts everything. God's creation is no longer perfect. God's people are no longer innocent. And they pass that sin down from generation to generation to generation. And so you and I are guilty. Even when we're born. Because that sin is handed down. That's Romans 5.12. One man's sin corrupted everything. And so it's a poison and a sickness that didn't just make me sick. And it's not all due to the devil, but it's because the world itself has been broken. So we walk around in the world and that's what we see, a system in the world that is opposed to God. So when uh, the Bible sometimes talks about the world, it's talking about this system in the world that is opposed to God, that the world itself now is corrupted and set up against its maker. First John 2, 15 to 16 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. In other words, in the system of the world now, because it's been corrupted by sin, because the devil has acted, because I am sinful, because Adam and Eve were sinful, all of those things combine together and they make the world around me sinful. It doesn't mean that he's not saying here that I'm not supposed to love Love people who don't know Jesus. What he is saying is, I am not supposed to love the things that are propagated by the world system that's opposed to God. So I don't run toward the evil and violence and sexual immorality and selfishness and pride and the self promotion that's in my world. But instead, I run toward the values of God. And the way to love people is to pull them out of this world system by telling them about Jesus and pull them into life with God. The world itself is corrupted, even the creation. We see hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, and we go, why do those things happen? Biblically, it traces back to sin. God actually cursed to the ground itself. And so creation not only turns against itself, it turns against the people God has made because of sin. Romans chapter 8, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And the idea is the world itself is broken. 
The devil is active, we're sinful, the world is broken, and yet one day God is going to set it right. And we have an opportunity to participate in what God is doing to bring men and women to the place where they will participate in his kingdom. And so although there are elements in the earth right now that are hellish because God has enemies, one day he's going to perfect it. And I want to jump on board with what God is doing to glorify himself in all the nations. I don't want to be daily in the way I act, the things I watch, the things I think about. I don't want to be aligning myself with God's enemies because that's the way of death. As we kind of wrap up this evening and think about, okay, how does this affect us? I think there are two things. One is this, simply, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ this evening, and you're struggling with this issue of who is God and what has he done and why does the world look the way it does? The answer is the world looks the way it does right now because we've rebelled against him. And the only solution is the fact that Jesus Christ died. He defeated sin. He defeated death. He took our sin and he rose again. He paid the penalty that our sin would incur. He paid our consequences, rose again, defeated death and sin. And for those who believe in him, now you can have eternal life. You can participate in this kingdom that God is going to create. That's the only way to have eternal life, by believing in him. For those who do believe in him, I want to come back here at the end to James chapter four that we read at the very beginning. Here's what James says. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you devil-minded. You want to know how to deal with God's enemies? He talks about the world. Don't be friends with the world. Resist the devil. Cleanse your own hands. Now, how do you do that from this passage? How do you do that? You submit yourself to God in humility. Each day, each moment, you say, God, on my own, in my flesh, I will align myself with your enemies. I will look at things I shouldn't. I will say things I should not. I will be more concerned with promoting me and increasing my Facebook count than I am with exalting you. And so, God, I submit myself to you and I ask humbly, help me resist the enemy. Help me resist my flesh. Keep me from being friends with the world and transform me into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're called to do. In the midst of a world that is often hellish, we're called to turn toward the God who is creating one day heaven on earth and say, I want to align with what you're doing. Help me do it. Because I'm sinful, I'm rebellious, and on my own, all I want to do is rebel against you and do my own thing. But through the power of the Spirit, God has given us the opportunity to pursue him and then to lead others to know him so we can create a community of men and women who pursue Jesus and reflect him to the world. And that's what we're called to do. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you and thank you so much for your word. Lord, we do not want to be aligned with the enemies of God and we confess that each day in different ways we do that. We're prideful We are lustful, we are disobedient and angry and selfish and rude. 
and disrespectful to you and to your people. So, Father, help us. Let us be humble. Let us be truthful with ourselves and with others. Let's not buy into the lie. Help us, Father, not buy into the lie that we aren't sinful or that we're better than others. But instead, let us, in brokenness and humility, come before you each day, each moment, asking for your power to do your will. Father, I pray for each person in here. Give us wisdom and joy and strength as we go throughout this week and seek to do your will. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next week.